Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Hela Al-Adwan. Hello, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, so for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, I am a tech manager, tech leader. Um, my role changes depending on the size of the company and where I'm, what I'm interested in. But I have been in tech leadership for almost my entire career. I moved to Los Angeles and have been in tech in Los Angeles for my entire career, which has afforded me a lot of wonderful opportunities and great people that I've had a chance to work with. So I uh, started at Pricewaterhouse, I did, and then I jumped into startups and have been kind of addicted to startups ever since. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you, uh, where you're, where are you now? I am at a new startup called Dot Org Technology. Hmm. Very cool. And then I think before that you were at Signal Sciences. So you've really seen uh, tech in LA change over the years. I feel like it is definitely not what it was uh, ten years ago. It definitely wasn't. I mean, I, in I mean, I was here at a startup during the first tech bubble, and that was I mean, I was a, basically a kid. It was my second job out of college, and that was a big learning experience. And then I went from there to Launch Media, which was acquired by Yahoo. And then I went from there to MySpace, which was massive at that time, and then went to yet another startup that <laughs> didn't do well. And so it's just been kind of a roller coaster for me. It's been a great roller coaster. I love roller coasters. That's awesome. I wonder if you were at, were you um were you at MySpace at the time during the the big Sammy is my hero worm because I just had Sammy Camcar on the show. Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I could only imagine what <clears throat> what the, what that was like. Yeah, the at working, the time. Yeah, working at that level of scale um, and dealing with security issues and dealing with scale when the open source world wasn't really ready to handle that kind of scale was, I mean, it was unbelievable. Amazing team, really smart people, and I mean, I, I really loved those days. It was really good. Wow, that's awesome. It was terrifying sometimes, looking at what was going on and wondering how we were going to get past it. But that's kind of part of the rush that I love. Yeah, totally. Um, so you've certainly had uh, an impressive arc to your career. When you when you look over it, do you feel like that there are any skills or attributes that have really helped you? Like, is there a particular set that that helped you get to where you are? Yes. You know, it's, it's interesting you ask. I think, you know, I grew up in the Middle East in a fairly conservative country, but I've always been very supported by my family. I came out here to go university. And up until I moved out here, I was fairly conservative, not in like Middle Eastern standards, but I think for US standards, I, I was fairly conservative and a little bit afraid to try new things. But being at a university when you're just coming into a new country really gives you the room to explore and experiment with a certain safety net. And I went from being like afraid to get on a skateboard to bungee jumping. Um, oh, wow. And so, you know, I, I, having that space and the room to be able to make risks um, and at that time to be able to do them without having everything be videoed <laughs> and online, I think really gave me the ability to flex and understand the level of um, the unknown that I'm comfortable with. And apparently I'm very comfortable with the unknown and I'm very comfortable with the risk taking. So having kind of gone through that experience um, really helped me be able to assess 
my level of comfort and what type of risks I'm able to take. The other thing that I learned is that, you know, I came from a very homogenous society into a very diverse university. Like I was at UCLA and the diversity was just mind blowing to me. And I would just spend so much time talking to people and trying to learn about people and their experiences and how they grew up and everything. And so it really, what it, what it taught me is that there's so much to learn by just talking and exploring things around you that you're not familiar with. So, I mean, I was a math major and my dad said, what are you going to do with math? Like a typical tiger dad. <laughs> He's like, are you going to become a teacher? You're not going to be an engineer. You're not going to be a doctor. What does that mean? Oh, wow. That's yeah. funny. But, I mean, for me, for yeah. me, I'd like, I could just imagine, uh, you know, if like, you know, this is way in the future. Like if my, my son said that, I'm like, oh man, are you going to a hedge fund? Don't do that. <laughs> well, well, it was funny because like <laughs> it didn't give me a clear career path, but what it did is it allowed me to explore different career paths and be able to try different things until I figured out what made sense for me. And apparently what made sense for me was programming. Like I, mm. I did a computing minor, they call it specialization at UCLA. And I took my first C++ class and it was just like, wow, everything makes sense. And I love this. And I loved it. And that's kind of like what steered me down to the technology path. Oh, that's amazing. That is completely the opposite of what C++ did to me. But (laughs) uh, (laughs) that's why I stick to JavaScript. But uh, that is that's awesome. So yeah, that 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 dealing with diversity and encountering that and then now seems like you've really and, and maybe even then uh, developed a, a real appreciation and affinity for it. Um, you know, risk taking clearly, I think that's, that's partly, uh, related to your love of startups now. Yes. Um, how, how, like, how, how would that be something that a junior developer and aspiring developer would be able to cultivate or in what ways would you, you would be a marker of someone not being comfortable with that? I I think fear is a natural thing. It exists because it's supposed to protect us from being eaten by predators. So fear is not something to be taken lightly, but I think instead of experiencing fear and seeing it as a blocker that stops you, I, I would just say make friends with it and evaluate whether this fear is actually truly a situation where you need to run for your life or if it's a situation that it's just slightly outside of your comfort zone and might be worth looking at it from a different perspective. So fear is like, it's, I, I, I'm, I experience fear all the time. It's just over the years, it has become a friend of mine. We have conversations about whether this is truly something that I should stop doing, or if it's something that I'm just afraid because it's uncomfortable and I should just explore it and and see if it's right for me or not. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think there's sort of this, this phrase that, I don't know if I picked it up anywhere, but it, it seems to bounce around in my head a fair bit, which is that 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 discomfort or sometimes that fear, that's a signal that points to an opportunity for growth, right? Growth yes. is not growth is not comfortable. Like when you're at the gym and you're lifting weights, like that's not that's not comfortable. Building those muscles is not it's not it's not enjoyable. Right. And I think that there's probably a similar sensation that's more mental or emotional when we're doing the the equivalent um, types of types of growth. And so I like I like I like that you bring up the point that look this this can be useful 
um right i mean the the if, when you see a tiger and it's it's <laughs> baring its fangs like that fear could save your save your life i mean you you definitely want to act on it and act on it quickly um the, and i agree i think the problem is that somehow through the way that we've evolved to modern you know society is that the, there are things that are going to evoke the same reaction but without the same risk of death. <laughs> yeah, I I completely agree and and like I said like things I experience or I'm trying to experience sometimes do still terrify me but it's it is a journey of whether this is a right the right fear or is it a fear that's just holding me back from realizing my next opportunity like you said. I think it it, it you know listen to it, have a conversation with it, and then make an assessment logically. And engineers are very logical people. Make a logical assessment as to whether this is an obstacle that you've created subconsciously or if it's truly something that you should be aware of. Mm -hmm. So you've you've worked with a ton of engineers, uh, I'm sure plenty of junior ones as well. Do you have sort of like an example of something that that a junior engineer might be familiar with as, as causing that type of reaction? I don't know if this is actually like answering your question really, but what I see a lot in um, junior engineers is a bit of impatience. And I think the impatience in its own way becomes something that is an obstacle, not, not so much the fear. Um, it's the impatience. Mm. I, you know, it's funny is I think you actually hit the nail on the head uh, because one thing that I've seen junior engineers do a lot is that they move through that fear avoidance so quickly to something else, right? I think yes. like one thing that I've seen actually very recently working with a, with a client is that there's um, there's this engineer uh, who is put on a more, this is a front-end engineer, put on a much more data-intensive like ad tech, SaaS, um, like internal reporting engine type tool. So pretty heavy duty web app, a lot of number crunching, um, a lot of like high density UI type of deal. And I think it's it's completely new for him. And I, it, it's just it's like right after I think he got assigned something by his um, tech lead that pushed him a little out of his comfort zone. He reached out to me to basically volunteer for a much more style focused content, you know, just like, like less of a number crunchy type of thing and much more of a, I don't know, an easier layout type of deal. And I think that's exactly what happened. I think, I think he got pushed out of his comfort zone and just without even really thinking about it, just wanted to find a way to, basically have me save him from the thing that was uncomfortable. Yeah. I, 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 you know, thinking a little bit more about, it, I also think that one thing that I do see, and I've experienced myself when I was more junior is um, the fear of, of admitting when you don't know something. And I think mm-hmm. that's some, that's something that as you have more experience, you realize, you know, very little, like the more you learn, <laughs> the more you realize how little you know. And so it just becomes natural. And, and to me, it's almost a sign of a more experienced engineer right now when they're able to say, oh, I don't know how to do that. Or, oh, I, I just Googled that. That's how I figured it out. Versus I think the more junior engineers are just really de- desiring to prove themselves and mm-hmm. they just have a hard time 
admitting when they've hit a wall or they just don't know something. Yeah. No, I think I think that's you know, but like on the flip side, it's it's how do you like how can you convince them that that's that's okay? If we have a listener that that is thinking, okay, I want a promotion and so I really need to be you know, uh, this might be a little too harsh, but like they, they might be thinking like, I need to be perfect or I need to know all of the technology. Otherwise, I'm not going to get the promotion. Someone who who knows all this stuff better uh, is going to get it. So I can't act like I don't know. Like, how, what do we say to that person? You're literally describing me at my first job. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the, the question to me is, why do you want that promotion? And mm. what does it mean? Like, are you just looking to make more money? Are you looking for more status? Like leveling at companies is something that I have a lot of opinions on. And I actually think it it, it has its value recognizing people's skills, but it also tends to make people more focused on moving up a ladder versus actually like expanding their own skill sets and exploring the areas that they're good at. So mm-hmm. why, why is an engineer looking to get promoted? What is their driver? And I think a conversation with their manager about their goals is important and understanding what that next step really means. Like what, what does that promotion actually mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 th- I think we tend to always feel like we, you know, your view of the world it, when you first start is fairly narrow and it just tends to get wider and wider, the, the bigger picture that you're exposed to and are able to participate in. And it's easy to just say, oh, I just need to be a better JavaScript engineer or a better Python engineer. I think what I would just suggest is just consider technology and languages as a tool, right? Mm. Like you can be an expert at it and that's absolutely wonderful if you are, but it's a tool to enable you to accomplish something. Do you Mm. understand what this thing that you're trying to accomplish is? Like to me, that's more important and that's more of a sign of seniority than it is just knowing all of the like intricacies of a language to be able to accomplish it. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of value in incredibly deep skilled engineers, um, but I think for a younger engineer, that's a lot of pressure to become so deeply skilled in something that requires a lot of time and practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it can also be kind of a little dangerous to to focus so much on on particular tools because of the rate at which they become, I don't want to say irrelevant, that's a little harsh. But, you know, I think I think you know, someone who really focused hard on, on, let's say flash and action scripts, you know, or there's, you know, countless other ones. I mean, you know, JavaScript, I'm sure is just littered with frameworks that used to be the end all be all. And now, you know, don't really get very many job posts asking for, for experts in them. It kind of also makes me think of, of, right. I mean, it's a, it's a tool. And so the idea of hearing someone say, Oh, I am so talented with a paintbrush. Just sounds weird. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, oh, you would not believe all of the different strokes that I can do with a paintbrush. Like, look, like this is a very fine line and this is a very thick line. And, you know, I know all the chemical composition of paint. Like, like that, you know, that's just like a weird, that's a weird way to think about leveling up. Yeah, I, I totally agree, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think what I look for, whether it's in a junior or a mid, mid-level or a senior engineer, is the ability to problem solve and where they're at in that problem solving level. Oh. I, I, can they identify a problem? If given a problem, can they identify a solution? And 
the more senior you are, it's like, can you actually even figure out if there's a problem that we need to be solving? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's definitely, that's definitely a good one. Um, yeah. So what are, yeah. So, so what, what is a good way for someone to figure out like what they want in a promotion or if that's what they should be looking at? I, I guess more of what I'm asking is, what should someone be thinking about in terms of their career? Like, should they attempt to try and have like a longer term goal of, oh, I want to be a tech lead or maybe like I want to be a director, VP, CTO. Is that something that's even possible early on or do they not have enough information or should they just be thinking about the next step? Like, do you have any yeah pointers on on that at I- distance? I do. I, I think it's important to have goals. It, it helps you structure how you want to move forward and what you focus on. I would just like just recommend that people not get so attached to their goal that they lose sight of things. Like you know, mm-hmm. I'm still learning about myself, and I'm still learning about things that I'm good at and things that I'm not good at. And if I just fixate so much on trying to accomplish a goal without actually evaluating whether is this really the right thing for me? Is this something where I'm going to be able to exercise the right skills? Or is this something that I'm just going to suffer endlessly trying to accomplish? I I think you just be flexible. And as you learn more about yourself, as you learn more about your industry, just evaluate whether is that goal still the right thing for you? You know, when when I started my career, I was very fixated. I'm sure most junior engineers are on being really strong technically. And I kept getting moved into a more management role. And I would try and like, I would actually leave jobs to try and go back and become more technical. And I would eventually be moved into a more management role. And I finally like had to have a conversation with somebody and just be like, why, <laughs> why does this keep happening to me? And, and, and what do I do? And, and I had to really kind of realize that I was actually good at it, but also that I really enjoyed it, that I really mm. felt like you know, managing teams and building organizations and building products is very much like writing code. You're putting pieces together, you're trying to solve a problem, you're tuning it, you're constantly tuning it, especially as your teams are growing and contracting. And so like that actually really was a pivotal moment for me. And I was very lucky to have an opportunity to have people to talk through this with. And that was a big shift in my career. And I'm so glad I did it. I look back now and I think I'm a much happier person for it. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. So, I mean, to me, that kind of sounds like you you had competing desires. It's it's like you you thought you wanted to be more technical and then you you talked to someone who who kind of told you like, OK, you may want to be technical, but you really are good at a lot of these non-technical skills. And then it sort of thinking about it made you realize like, oh, wait, like I do enjoy those. Like, yeah, I, I would love to hear more about that. That's like, uh, I love that. Yes. So I, I you know, I, when I was at stamps.com, I was moved into a management role and I was still so young in my career. I didn't really understand what that really meant, but mm-hmm. I built a very small team and my team had great relationships with their customers. It was a data warehousing team and, you know, that was fun, but then I felt like I was being pulled away from the tech and I moved on, took a data architect role at Launch Media. And then my boss at that time left and the opportunity for me to step into his shoes came up and I did, but I kept balancing my need to want to be technical by spending all of this time programming and all of this other time trying to actually build and run a team. 
And it was really um, taxing. It was taxing mm. on myself. I mean, I was young. I had a lot more energy than I do now. But I mean, <laughs> I worked nonstop and I was tired all the time. And finally, like, I just had to think about it and be like, if I had to choose, which one would I would choose? And I just realized that I loved growing and building my team. I loved mm. being able to understand the big picture of what the business is trying to do and figure out how we can get there in the fastest, most, most efficient way possible. And that I loved it more than actually writing the code, that I loved mm -hmm. finding the solution more than I loved implementing the solution myself. And it, it, it was a lengthy process of going back and forth with myself and just realizing that I can't keep doing this to myself. It's, it's not, you know, I'm not happy and I, it's not healthy and it, it's not healthy mm -hmm. on my relationship. So what do I really want and, and what it is that is right for me next? And, you know, from then on, I've just been in engineering leadership and I have, I still code, um, unfortunately, but for people who have to maintain <laughs> my code, but I still do. And it just depends on the size of the company, but it really is like about stepping out of your head sometimes and trying to evaluate what it is it that makes you happy. And I'll talk about happiness a lot because I do think happiness is important. Mm -hmm. Um, but so just like recognize, like, is this really what you are, you are you doing this because you really want it? Or are you doing it because you feel like you have to? Yeah, I um, yeah, I yeah, I like that a lot. And yeah, I sometimes worry that that early on uh, we're going to have some some developers who have trouble figuring out what they want. But that's that's not to say that that you shouldn't try. I think I think, you know, just think about you know what gives you energy what what you find draining and try and look at that just um, a little bit more objectively and that, that'll give you some cues on on which which directions to head so in terms of uh, you were saying like you know a thing that you've you've gotten really good at and has been been a theme is is building teams um, what do you what do you look for when you're when you're putting together a team it's um so there's a couple of things that are important to me. And one is that I like to build highly collaborative teams. That's just kind of an area of focus for me. I think it is much more pleasant environment to be in. And I actually think it's a lot more efficient for a business. So the primary thing is, are, are these people able to collaborate and work collectively with their peers in the engineering organization, their peers in product, their peers in design? It just makes for a much better company. And I think it's Conway's law that, that I'm going to butcher it now, but that basically says <laughs> your, your product is a reflection of your organization. And I think healthy organizations have really great products. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's something that I think is really important. But at the end of the day, if I walk into a place and I'm the first engineering hire or I'm coming in to build out a team, I really have to evaluate what the product is, what the company makeup looks like, what they're trying to accomplish, because I've never really built the same team multiple times. I try to build the right team for that environment, for that product, for the people that are already there. And mm -hmm. so it's there's there's no like one size fits all. Every situation has its different needs. But I think the underlying theme that I look for is people who are highly collaborative. I think by being a female in technology, somebody who comes from the Middle East, um, it automatically, like diversity becomes a, becomes a thing, right? But people who aren't interested in it will likely not come work on my team. So it ends up mm -hmm. becoming like a mm -hmm. self-fulfilling prophecy from that perspective. So definitely people that are open-minded and collaborative is really important. 
Gotcha. Yeah. And I also want to, uh, you know, maybe come back to the part of, of not building the same team for, for different companies, but uh, first on that theme a little bit. So how, so, you know, let's say that someone's listening um, and they, they really want to get a sense of like, okay, I'm going to go interview or maybe approach one of these companies. Like how would they either, how would they demonstrate that they're a good uh, collaborator or what are the, techniques or like, how do you determine if they have those qualities? Situational conversation. So just asking about experiences, asking for specific examples um, and having a kind of a shared problem solving exercise. And it doesn't have to be get on a whiteboard and write code. I know that's very controversial, <laughs> whether you want to do that or do that or not. But I, I think it, especially because now everything is so remote, like a person's ability to work through a problem remotely um, is, is going to become more and more important. So I think finding like a small situation, sometimes a question and just kind of go, going through the question and, and getting into the answer with a person gives you a good sense of how they think and how they're able to work through something with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely sounds like uh, communication is, is pretty, pretty important to that. Yes, communication, especially in the remote world, is of the utmost important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, do you have any examples, like like any kind of any any specifics about you know your experience with particular engineers of like yeah, basically examples of something that they would do that was not good communication or something that 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 a particular engineer would do that that is good communication. The reason why I ask is, I feel like communication to a lot of people is sort of this nebulous thing where it's like, well, I'm speaking, so I'm communicating good, like right, you know, but. Yeah. Do you have any examples? Yeah, I, I think um, answering a question that's being asked in 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 an honest way. Like I, I, one example I had is I had this great engineer, and I would talk to her. She didn't work for me. She worked for one of my managers, and I would check in with her fairly frequently just to see how she's doing, just to see how things are. And it was always positive, positive, positive. But mm. then a few months later, I find out that she's really quite unhappy, <laughs> and. I mean, I'm talking to her because I'm trying to understand if there's something that I need to pay attention to or a problem that needs help solving. Um, and But she never actually felt comfortable expressing that with me, even though I'm actively asking. Mm-hmm. So she ended up being unhappy and then ended up unfortunately leaving because at that point where I, fi- I figured out what her issue was, it was almost unsolvable. You know, mm-hmm. people get worked up and upset about something to a certain point where you really can't come back from it. And unfortunately, I wasn't given the opportunity to even try to solve that problem for her. So I think being open in communicating with your manager or your manager's manager when asked about how are you doing? What do you need? Are there issues that are affecting you? Um, And, you you know, there's a lot of ways where you can just ask for guidance. Like, you know, you're experiencing a situation. Maybe you're having a hard time communicating with one person on the team. Ask your manager to help you with some tools on how to navigate that conversation Mm-hmm. Um, to, to try and, and get to a solution. Everybody communicates differently. I think one of the things that I would like to start doing more of, especially because we're hiring in a remote world, is kind of write a, a user guide to every person. It's like, I like <laughs> to communicate in this way, and this is kind of my style. So if I'm very direct, please don't take that personally. That's just how I communicate. Or I prefer to receive information and review it before we have a meeting about it. So if you need my feedback on something, please send me the information ahead of time. I think we just... When we're all in an office together, we just assume that people know this. People don't, but we assume that they do. And we kind of get around it because we're face-to-face and 
you know, there's a more human element to it. But in a remote world, it just becomes, I think, more important to figure out how to talk to people, how they want to receive information and how you want to do it and communicate that yourself. And oh, ask, yeah. ask for help and guidance. It's nobody knows everything all the time. Everybody's just doing the best that they can. Um, so reach out and ask for help. And if you feel like a conversation has gone sideways, sometimes I would just get on a Zoom and just be like, I feel like this conversation just went sideways and I'd like to just take it back and kind of start over again. I think it's mm -hmm. okay to do that. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, you brought up an interesting point. Like there's this, and maybe it's just the nature of engineering is that it might be more difficult to recognize that those, the, the emotional uh, situation is also important to to talk about. I mean, one of the things that, that I often ask and I find it's difficult for engineers to give me an answer to is they'll, they'll talk about a project that they're working on and I'll say like, oh, well, you know, how's that going for you? Or like, how are you feeling about that? And if they're not used to that question, almost always they're going to say something that's that's much more objective about, oh, well, you know, I got I got this done yesterday, so it's on track. And it's like, well, that's not really what I'm asking. Like, I want to know how you're feeling about it. Like, has it been frustrating? Are you really enjoying it? You know, and and I think that that most people don't realize or most engineers don't realize that when they're talking to their manager, like those things are important. Um, managers often want to want to make sure that that people are working on things that they they find engaging or make them happy or um, and and not really put people on projects that they they dislike and part of that's because they they generally care about you as a person but there's also the what's in it for the company angle which is that people are just going to do a much better job when they're working on things that they that they like yeah and hiding that isn't really going to help you <laughs> like if you're working on something that you absolutely hate, um, you really don't want to hide that. You don't, you don't really want to make it like, you don't want to push the point that like, yes, this is perfect. This is awesome. When it's not the case, because you, you might wind up just getting more of that, which isn't going to be good for anyone. <laughs> that is so true. I had this wonderful, brilliant engineer at um, my last company who was so good at the project that she was working on. And if it were up to me and then she didn't communicate with me, I would have just kept her on that project and kept giving her more responsibility. But she finally came to me and said, she's like, you know, I really don't like this. I'm more mm -hmm. interested in learning about this other area and exploring it. And I, and I, my feedback was yes, because she's <laughs> so smart and so good. And I, I want her to be happy. I want her to be productive. And then it was just a matter of like working with her on a transition plan and moving her to the area that she wanted to be in. So being able to communicate that, but to be frank too, like the onus is on us as managers to create the space mm -hmm. for people to feel comfortable to say, I just really don't like this, or I really don't like this team or whatever it is that is affecting their ability to be productive. And, and we need to create the space where people feel comfortable saying that. And we actually need to show action. We need to show that we are hearing you and we're going to do something about it. And I, I don't know that everybody has that experience. Um, but it's our responsibility as managers to provide that. Oh, I completely agree. I just think there is also some bad managers out there or managers who are bad at this. Yeah, but I think a lot, a lot of the problem with that is I, people feel like they have to become managers because that's how they move up the career mm -hmm. ladder. And mm -hmm. we just we can't keep thinking that way. Not everybody likes it. Not everybody's going to be good at it. Um, so create paths where people feel like they're growing and evolving without having to take on things that they don't want to do. One of the things I did at my last company, 
is give people an opportunity to try management. So I really mm-hmm. didn't focus a lot on titles or promotions. You know, your value was in your contributions and your collaboration. And so if somebody wanted to explore management, they would take on a leadership role in a small team with some support, but without fanfare. And that way, if they decided to step down from it, it's okay. They, they tried something, it didn't work, and now they're going to do something else that makes them happier. Yeah, I like that. Is there, is there, if, if that's something somebody wanted to try, um, is that something that they would, would bring up in a formal way? Like, you know, do they have to wait for, for their company to introduce sort of this informal management trial program? Or are there there other ways for people to, to try it out? There's definitely a lot of ways, but again, like every company is different and every situation mm-hmm. is different. In my opinion, it's important for people to advocate for what they want and have conversations with their leadership about it. I, I didn't get to where I'm at because I kept waiting for people to give me opportunities. And I have worked with a lot of wonderful people that have given me room to grow. But part of that is also me asking for that growth and recognizing when I wasn't going to get it and making decisions about what I wanted to do next as a result of that. So it's important as people are exploring opportunities and, you know, junior engineers have so many opportunities in front of them. There's so much to do. There's so much great technology to work with. There's so many different paths that their career can go and having conversations with people about it, having conversations with their manager about it is the perfect way to kind of get the support to explore. And sometimes having a conversation with somebody who's in it will give you insight into whether this is something that you might like or not. Again, it goes back to communication, right? Yeah, no, no, I love that. And so when someone is is able to, to transition, even maybe even like a trial capacity, you know, so maybe, maybe someone, you know, goes, like gets their first junior development gig, or, or maybe, you know, you have an engineer who's doing, you know, a tech lead type thing for the first time, or maybe it's a, a brand new engineering manager, um, or maybe just trying out any of those things. Like, what, what are some common in any of those roles? Like, what are some common issues that that you've seen? I think one that that I've seen, of course, is, you know, imposter syndrome or something like that. But do you have any advice for people handling a transition like that? Yeah, I, I, I could tell you my biggest problem, the challenge, biggest challenge I had when I made that transition is letting go of my code. Mm. So I moved into a management role and because I was still coding and then I just couldn't do it anymore. So I had to hand it off to somebody, but I didn't give them the room to own it. Mm. I still micromanaged it and that did not give them the space to actually own it and feel like they had a sense of control over what was happening. But it also made my job harder because now I'm taking ownership of something that I can't work on anymore. So it just kind of got to a head at a certain point when I recognized that the person was actually really unhappy because of the way that I'm treating them because they're handling my code. And I just had to say, you know what? It's your code now. You do what you want to do. And we'll learn from that. And that was a, but I had to hit a breaking point to get to that point. And so just recognize that everybody has a different way of approaching a problem and that's okay. Just because somebody isn't doing something the way that you would do it, you might learn something from that or it might be bad, but it's also might be the best way that they could learn. Mm, Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely a big one. I've, I've certainly been there um, as, as someone who, you know, definitely, 
would pride myself in my code trying to trying to let that go when, yeah. I, when it was more it's of hard. a leadership it's your baby. Position. <laughs> and everything makes so much sense to you and it's like no this is right because it makes sense and somebody's <laughs> like i don't get it and you just got to let them do what they need to do to maintain it it's their code now yeah absolutely so i think uh we're almost out of time but i did want to ask uh one more question i think I think one thing that that has come up is it seems like from the perspective of a of a junior engineer uh, might feel like there aren't a lot of positions available to them or when there are, they're in a lot of competition with too many other junior developers. Um, What's your opinion about that? Do you do you think that now is a bad time to be a junior developer? Uh, Do you think there are any things that would make a junior developer stand out? Like, how do you how do you view that? I, I think it is a challenging time at this moment with a lot of companies being remote to be a junior developer trying to make your way in, into a career. And I think it's because a lot of companies don't know how to onboard and train junior engineers remotely. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would actually look at larger companies that have more structure because more often than not, they will have a better process of how to bring you on and train you. Um, but also I think in the interviews, if you do have an opportunity to work with a less structured company is explore, I, I think, you know, you need to interview them as much as they're interviewing you, but explore how they communicate, how they train people, what kind of support they get when you're stuck at something. How does the team work together? That's important because you're going to need to rely on your, the rest of your team to be able to grow and, and be successful. Um, And from your perspective, just emphasize what your skills are at, make sure that you're clear on your communication and your goals, just to make sure that it's a perfect match, because it's not always going to be a perfect match. And it's your opportunity to make sure that they are as right for you as you are for them. Yeah, completely agree with that. All right. This has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? So I am not a very big online person. I am a very passive tweeter, but you can find me on Twitter at um, my first initial last name, H-A-L-A-D-W-A-N. I am on LinkedIn because that's where people connect um, in tech. But I was told by some junior engineers a few weeks ago that nobody uses that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Have they all moved on to TikTok? (laughs) I think they're all just doing like live Twitch streaming. They're all like coding online. It's it's just... uh, Brave new world. It is a brave new world. (laughs) Well, perfect. I'll put uh, links to both of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. And my company is hiring. So if you want to learn more about us, you can go to .org.io and we have our careers page there. So if anything looks interesting to you, just drop us an email. Even if something doesn't look interesting, but you're interested in learning more about us, drop us an email and we'll be happy to reach out. Awesome. I will definitely put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much. It was such a great conversation. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior.